You're listening to PHM After Dark, a podcast where we explore the exciting world of pediatric hospital medicine at night. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Mike, back from a much-needed but probably not well-deserved break. With this first episode of 2024, we're going to talk about how to ask for help, also known as calling consults. While I love talking about pure clinical things, like bronchiolitis, I think an important part of our job is to also know how things work and how we fit into this big, complex medical system. So in addition to the more sciencey stuff, I also want to focus on how to be a better physician in a broader sense as well. Now, before we get to the details, my usual disclaimer still applies. None of this is medical advice. Everything here is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to treat any medical condition. If you have questions about your own health, the health of a patient, or the health of literally anyone else, please contact your own physician or supervisor. So let's jump right into it. Here are the objectives for today's episode. By the end of this podcast, learners should be able to 1. Identify some common reasons to call a consult at night. 2. List the important components of a good consult call. And 3. Construct a presentation for a consult you are calling. Now let's set the scene. I'm going to refer to this clinical scenario through the rest of the episode, so pay close attention, or just rewind, whatever. It's a dark and stormy night, but you can't tell because your team room doesn't have any windows. You receive a call from the nursing staff that your new patient, Bartholomew, just arrived to the floor. Bartholomew is a six-year-old boy with a history of epilepsy. He takes levetiracetam and hasn't had a seizure in over a year. At least, not until this last two days. He went to an outside hospital due to a prolonged seizure at home, which was ultimately stopped with lorazepam times two. He was febrile in the emergency department and noted to have an SpO2 of 93% in room air. Chest x-ray showed a right middle lobe opacification. His BMP and magnesium were normal at the outside hospital, but his procal was elevated at 2.7 nanograms per milliliter. The patient was given ceftriaxone and directly admitted to the hospital's service. He is ill but non-toxic appearing on your exam, and his neuro exam is notable only for being sleepy, although it's hard to tell if this is a postictal state or just tiredness because it is 3 o'clock in the morning. He is roused over the right middle lobe on auscultation of the lungs. There is no murmur on exam. You're about to leave the room when Bartholomew has another seizure. This one included generalized tonic-clonic movements and self-resolved after one minute. Thankfully, his vitals were generally stable during the event. You head back to the team room and page the hospitalist on call, and you get incredibly excited when you realize it's your favorite attending who's on. Okay, Dr. Mike, so Bartholomew is a fully immunized six-year-old boy with a history of epilepsy, previously well-controlled on levetiracetam, now admitted with increasing seizure frequency and a likely bacterial right middle lobe pneumonia. He appears ill but non-toxic on exam and had another seizure during my exam that resolved without intervention after approximately one minute. Your attending then starts doing that thing where he asks a bunch of questions, not as a way to like be mean or trip you up, but as a way to make you think more about your patient and learn. Your attending says, why do you think Bartholomew is having more seizures these last few days? You respond by saying, well, best attending ever, he could have outgrown his dose, or he could have missed a few doses since the family was recently traveling, or his seizure threshold could be lower in the setting of this respiratory illness. He doesn't have any clinical signs of meningitis, so I think that is unlikely. Your attending replies, impressive, most impressive. 
Those are all distinct possibilities, although the patient's mother told me that they did not miss a single dose in the last month, so non-adherence is probably less likely. Let's treat his pneumonia with some ampicillin and consult neurology. We should probably call them tonight. Specifically, our question tonight is whether he should be loaded with any additional anti-epileptic drugs or be placed on a continuous EEG. Although I doubt there will be additional labs they'll need us to send tonight, if there's anything they need us to order tonight, let me know. You then get a little mad because your attending totally stole your thunder and didn't give you a chance to give your plan, but you get over it because he's such a cool guy otherwise. You part ways with your attending and prepare to call neurology. So why do we call consults? There's lots of reasons that you could think about to call a consult, but most of them boil down to this. You have a clinical question that needs to be answered, but you either don't know the answer or the answer is outside your scope of practice. This example with Bartholomew is a great example of a situation where a specialist can help you answer a clinical question. In this case, you have a patient who has a seizure, you are thinking that they're going to need some additional medicines, but you're not a neurologist and you're not sure what the best medicine to give this kid next is. You could argue it's also outside your scope of practice, but I also think of scope of practice things as something I'm straight up not qualified to do. Sure, I can identify someone who has appendicitis because a radiologist called me and said the ultrasound showed appendicitis, but I'm a hospitalist and so I can't do an appendectomy. So in those cases, I would consult surgery. An important note now is that the rules around calling consults can be institution-dependent, like is the first call going to be a resident, an APP, an attending, but there are a good few general principles you should follow. Number one, if you don't need an urgent answer, do not call the consult overnight. In Bartholomew's case, I would argue it's reasonable to call neurology overnight to help determine the reason for increased seizure frequency as well as the additional workup you need to do right now. They may want to send a levetiracetam level, give a loading dose, adjust their chronic dose, or hook them up onto EEG, or some combination of those things. I don't know, I'm not a neurologist, but that's why we call them. Contrast that with a kid who follows with allergy immunology due to asthma who gets admitted with status asthmaticus. Status asthmaticus is well within my ability and scope to treat, so I won't call them overnight. I would save that consult for the morning. If you're ever unclear on whether or not you're supposed to be calling them overnight, just ask your attending. Now let's go back to the example with Bartholomew. So you get the neurologist on the phone, but how do you actually go about talking to them? Some of the nuances are specialty specific, but a good place to start in general is with introducing yourself and your role in patient care, and then giving your one-liner and the specific reason you are calling for the consult. You can then go back and give a more formal presentation with all the pertinent details afterward, but most consults appreciate hearing the question first, or at least early on, so that they don't sit on the phone the whole time trying to figure out why you called them in the first place. After that, there's usually a discussion where they may ask you more questions or just give you their recommendations. Once you have their recommendations, please thank them for their time. That actually goes for a lot of communication, not just consults. Let's practice now with Bartholomew and our friend from neurology. Hi, Dr. Brain. This is Tom. I'm a resident taking care of a patient named Bartholomew in room so-and-so. He is a six-year-old boy with a history of epilepsy on levetiracetam who is admitted with breakthrough seizures and community-acquired pneumonia. We are calling to get some recommendations regarding workup and management of his increased seizure frequency. 
Now Dr. Brain knows why you're calling and can listen to the rest of the history through the lens of figuring out why Bartholomew is having seizures and what to do about them. Once you go through the rest of the history as well as your exam, Dr. Brain may ask you to clarify a few points on the thorough neuro exam you did as well as Bartholomew's head circumference and developmental history. She is satisfied with your answers and recommends sending a levotracetam level and loading with Keppra. Or maybe she doesn't. I don't know. I'm not a neurologist, but that's why we call. You thank Dr. Brain for her time and follow through with her recommendations. Dr. Brain sees the patient the next morning and writes a formal consult note, which the day team can then follow up on. But you got Bartholomew through the night, and that's what matters most. It can definitely be intimidating sometimes calling consults, especially if you don't know that person very well. But it's an important part of medicine, and good communication literally saves lives. So let's review. When you're calling a consult, number one, introduce yourself and your role. That's just a basic human interaction. Number two, give your one-liner. Number three, state your question for the consult or the reason you're calling. Number four, go back and give the rest of the history. Now, note here that consultants will sometimes want varying levels of detail, but it's important that you're prepared to give a full presentation and can answer any questions you anticipate them asking. For example, you should have a good developmental history and done a full neuro exam if you're evaluating a patient for seizures. Number five, you answer any additional questions they have. Number six, you get the specialist recommendations. And number seven, you say thank you. Another important note that I really want you to take home is this. Make sure you not only have a good reason for calling a consult, but make sure you know the specific question you are asking. It's not good enough to say, patient has bones, ortho, please see the patient. What's much better is saying something like this. This is a six-year-old girl with a humerus fracture after falling off a swing. We would appreciate help evaluating and reducing the fracture. That might actually be all the detail that that subspecialist wants. So what do you do if you're actually not sure why your attending wants you to call a consult? Well, you can ask your senior, but at the end of the day, if you're still confused, just clarify with the attending what the specific question you're asking is. That way, you're not completely lost when you're on the phone with the consult, and everyone will appreciate that all the more. So I hope with this review that everyone feels a little bit more comfortable thinking about consults and thinking about when to call them and how to call them. And that's all for today. Thanks for joining me for this episode of PHM After Dark. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Mike. As always, hoping you find joy wherever you find yourself, even after dark. <laughs> <laughs>